everybody, and welcome to Hope This Helps, an IT and sysadmin podcast of the century. My name is Steve. And I'm Tiffany. And we are elated, that is E with elated, to have you along on this 31st of July, 2020, the 10th anniversary to the day of the Bed Intruder song and annual sysadmin day wait i didn't catch on that it was the 10th anniversary of the bed intruder song to this very day in fact july 31st of 2010 was when the bed intruder song was posted to youtube if the timestamp on the youtube link is anything to be believed i i do believe that the internet is facts you cannot dispute youtube.com no that that is bible yes shout out to the i almost said centennial it's more the the, the decade anniversary of the Bed Intruder song, but more importantly, the centennial version. You know, it's what is it like a marriage? Both start with a one and a zero. Who cares? That is true. I mean, everything does technically if you break it down in binary. Indeed, but less of a centennial is sysadmin day today. Yay! Which no one cares about except for sysadmin. I didn't get any gifts. I didn't get any kudos. I didn't get anything. The only one who remembered no. it, at least in my circle, was me. So happy sysadmin day to everyone. We're very happy that we were able to record on this day to be able to make comments about sysadmin day before the day ends in two hours or so. Mm. And by the time this podcast is out, it probably won't be sysadmin day, but, you know, details. Minor details. Very minor details. Without further ado, let's get into the things, the things and stuff and stuff and things. This is the boot up our random topics and things that have happened in the past week since we last recorded. Yeah, it's been, I want to say things are back rolling again as far as tech news. Tons of things to talk about. Yes, we're at the point where actually I was booting stuff out of the show notes instead of searching for things to add. In fact, I've actually already added things to the bulk rainy day pile. So that's exactly it. I went to go add stuff and I was like, Steve's got like enough here to talk about until Sunday. Yeah, and it's unbelievable that all of this is pretty much within the past seven days or so. So when it rains, it pours for sure. And I'm not sad about it. Me neither. So you know what's a really risky Google search? Mm. Okay, so if you're like me and you need to understand what certain Unix terminal commands are sometimes, and you're kind of already thinking in the mindset of, oh, what's the man page for this? What's blah, 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 blah. So I want to know what a certain parameter in the kill all command was. So I actually, without even thinking about this, I searched Google kill all man. (laughs) And I didn't think about it until after I hit enter. I was like, I think I'm on a list now. Oh, no. You have the FBI surveying all of your Google searches now. You know, I think the FBI needs to double check all of its watch lists because it might just be people just Googling Linux commands. Because a lot of those commands actually are pretty scary sounding with very hard verbs like kill or destroy or all kinds of just nastiness and if you take it out of context wow it's bad to be fair linus is a very angry angry name to begin with linus is a very angry human in general which is actually ironic because my father's name was linus (laughs) so i mean he did not invent linux the angry linus was the was the one who invented linux i mean git of all things is named after a, a an insult that's true I personally just like to say get it a real lot, but bad joke. Get it good. Get it good. So the moral of the story is don't to try not to search the internet for kill all man, or if you do, maybe just add like Linux to the start or the end of it just to make sure you don't get up on someone's bad side for searching things yeah. that could be taken way out of context. To be fair, when I first read it, I thought I said falafel man. Falafel man. That's something I Google all the time as well. I mean, who doesn't like falafel? I really like falafel. It just makes my breath taste really it's... awful. <laughs> that rhymed. Yeah, it did. <laughs> All right, we're off to a really great start. That was what we call the icebreaker, folks. <laughs> Today, though, we had a uh, little more than icebreakers. Today, the Chicago PowerShell Conference happened. It was a one-day event. It was a series of presentations led off by none other than Jeffrey Snover, the inventor of PowerShell, who gave a very interesting keynote that was really seat of your pants. Yeah. And let's just say, if you wanted to see anything, that wasn't going to happen. Jeff had, uh, <laughs> he said in his defense, he said he he does not edit videos. He does not, quote unquote, know how to 
edit videos, so he just put up whatever he recorded just raw. A lot of good things. I'm not saying the, I'm not saying it was a bad keynote. It's just no. he's a very interesting kind of speaker. If you were expecting a very clean, error-free, flub-free keynote, um, this was not the one to watch. But if you wanted a very nice presentation combined with just some flexing of technical knowledge with all of the caveats of doing a live demo from memory without referencing any documentation, then this is the presentation yes. for you. I honestly really love Jeff Snover anytime he presents because it is the raw, unadulterated version. It's just you get what you get. It, it is very impressive. We all have been there where we forget to show something. I mean, how many times I, I know personally I'll be on a Teams call and I'll be the person muted as I'm going through a presentation trying to talk to everyone. So we've all been there. Or how many times do you just forget how to spell something multiple times over Every and day. over when you're sharing? Sharing, like when Jeff just couldn't spell the word concise to save his life. I'm going to put myself in Jeff's shoes and also say that I probably would have messed that up multiple times as well. So it was a very human presentation and everything he explained made sense still. The one thing I did wish mm -hmm. that would have been at least shown on screen was when he was demoing Windows PowerShell 5.1 compatibility within PowerShell 7. And that was actually something I really, really wanted to see and was really interested in. But poor Jeff, he he just didn't share his screen when he went to demo it. And we just, we just saw his face the entire time. And the, the only part of the screen we really saw was the occasional glimmer on his glasses. Yes. I have to say, though, he was extremely passionate about... He was just so into it, though. It was all worth it for the live Twitch chat when Jeff was in the Twitch chat and just going, yeah. oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Yeah, it, you could feel his facepalm moment where he was like, oh yeah, that happened. And in the actual recording itself, he does realize after he's done towards the end that he didn't switch the screen share at the right time. A couple different times he said, I'm so sorry that I didn't switch to my screen share when I should have. Instead, you just I... saw my wonderful Bob Ross reactions to coding PowerShell. Honestly, that, <laughs> that's how I referred to him today. He's like the Bob Ross of PowerShell. I was like, this is very soothing. I could listen to him all day. It was a joyful thing to have on in the background while doing work today. Exactly. There are no um, there are no mistakes. Uh, what does Bob Ross say? Only happy. Only happy accidents. A happy accident. So Jeff not flipping his screen was a happy accident. It was. Anyways, things that were announced or, well, not so much announced, things that were highlighted or shown as coming up on the roadmap, there wasn't a whole lot, but things like PowerShell Get 3.0 will be coming soon. It's more of just a development Ooh. milestone where it's going to be kind of a framework similar to the Linux world of things where you have like a sudo apt get install. Just It'll just be a framework for installing things and more automation potential. Other things that Jeff noted were going to be improvements to the shell experience itself. So better tab completions and possible AI goodness in command completion, whatever that may mean. But the point is they are aware that they want to make the command line and shell experience better. And it is in their purview of sorts. And lastly, it was all about, quote unquote, the rocket that is Visual Studio Code, as Jeff said in his own words. There's been an announcement of a feature called the Visual Studio Code PowerShell Notebook View, which if I could describe it in a way, it is sort of like Javadoc, where if you format your functions... In, a, in the correct syntax and you have your comments all in a row correctly and everything is correctly formatted, this view will kind of give it a readable, digestible, documentation-focused view of your PowerShell functions and scripts. And it will be nice for presenting or documenting or showing to less technically minded folks. It's going to be a really cool thing. If you know Javadoc, you basically know what this is. It's just the PowerShell version of it. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Because how many times do you try to go read something and it's just like messy developer words? Or the comments are all over the place and you don't want to accidentally modify the code. This is a nice way to just, right. just read it. Read it like in a magazine or something. You don't need to see the works behind the scenes or the printing press that made the code yeah no that's definitely a positive because there are many times where read only like and then it just opens in a notepad and i'm like eh, i don't want to edit it i just want to read it 
Sometimes you just want something to look good. This yeah. will help with that. I also make it sound like I read code for fun. That no, that doesn't happen. But <laughs> just in case, I have code in the bathroom right by the toilet. Is that what you? Is that your bathroom? Yeah, I mean, don't you? If I'm gonna read, okay. if I'm gonna read crappy code, I might as well match apples with apples. <laughs> crappy code in in the can. <laughs> Oh man! Welcome to the poop joke podcast here at Hope This Helps. Oh, oh my god! I'm so sorry. Okay, what else happened? There were sessions. I admittedly was more focused towards the beginning, maybe the first three or four sessions before I kind of petered off because I did not take time off for this conference. I kind of just had it on the background while I was doing other work. I was a little bit more dedicated to it in maybe the pre-lunch hours, but that's okay mm. because the s- sessions were definitely front-loaded with more commonplace topics, and some of these were just kind of refreshers for me or validation for me to make sure that the way I'm doing things was actually lined up with industry standards or what the founders of sorts say the way to do it is. In particular, I'm talking about the function session and the module session. So both were very good. Mm. They were both kind of primers on how to write functions and kind of demystify modules. The moral of the story for both of them is there is more than one way to skin a cat when it comes to these, particularly with modules and with functions. The person who was doing the function keynote in particular was more computer science oriented. I could definitely tell based on the Mm. way he was writing his code and the way he was describing things, which isn't bad. It's just a different way of doing things for sure. But there were a couple of times I was kind of yelling at the screen, even when it was just related to consistency. There was literally a, a section where they were talking about PowerShell ISC. You, you really should be moving on to Visual Studio Code. And the very next slide is a demo where they whip out ISC. Oh, oh. And like that's like ripping the bandaid off and then putting the used bandaid back on. Yeah. Like, oh, you can't use ISC anymore, but then we're going to show you ISC. For all, for those of us who are still hurt about ISE. Yeah, the, the Twitch chat throughout that entire thing was very spicy. So when it comes to particularly code or automation, and you put a bunch of IT professionals in the same conference, and you have that intimate setting, particularly if it's going to be all online, you're going to get a lot of opinionated folks just stating what they think is the right way. And it's always funny, you know, when it when it's in the chat, all of a sudden, like everyone is suddenly on the same playing field and it can be kind of chaotic. Yeah, no, it can. Every, and everyone has their own opinion about what the best practice is and how to do something. But honestly, I personally still live by TED code. I, oh, I, yes. TED code all the way. So Microsoft has another PowerShell god. His name is Ted Zadukas. <laughs> he really is. He is. Excellent. He is actually, I think he is based out of Chicago. He is. One of the commercials that played, it wasn't him, but it was the the Chicagoan, I don't know how you would say that, uh, accent. And I couldn't help but thinking about Ted the whole time. You're right. I just, I that didn't even cross my mind until just now. I forgot that Ted was based out of Chicago and he had that very yeah. thick, heavy Chicago, nearly Canadian accent. Yeah, eh? Like, it, um, I'm just, like, now channeling my inner Ted. Best PowerShell uh, class ever, I must say. Your PowerShell code. You know, hit the run button. Make sure you're using Visual Studio Code and not ICE. Okay. I'm, and not ICE. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, right. to stop. We're clearly... I'm going to stop with that now. <laughs> Here we are trying to memorialize Ted, and instead we're, like, insulting him. Oh, my God. We're, <laughs> we're so sorry. Ted, if you're listening, just, just skip ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like fast forward to the part where we're, we're clearly like we're not worthy. We're not worthy. Oh my god. Um, we're gonna stop now. Let's let's, let's move <laughs> Ted, on. Ted, we love you. Oh my god, Ted, <laughs> Ted, you are you are amazing for the trainings that you gave us. This is not. We, don't take this the wrong way. Yeah. No. All right, we're done being creepy. With all this, do you ever think that we could do like a hope this helps branded conference? I do. I honestly think of it as somewhere between like the SNL skits where they do the nightly news. That's what I imagine our our tech conference would be like. It would just, I, I would be Tina Fey and you would be Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, we could have skits. We could have stand-up sessions. We could have interviews. You know, the kind of things that not necessarily a blog or a podcast can cover, but if you can do it as a conference, you can have the visual element. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Imagine all like the backgrounds and stuff we could add. It would be so good. Um, and God knows we have enough to talk about. Jeez. Right. And Steve is very talented, so he could like sing for you and everything. <laughs> Uh, so uh, 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 you're like no uh, i'd rather not (laughs) 
I'm ki- I'm kidding. I he could, won't do it. But <laughs> he really loves Dear Evan Hansen, so he would sing all of those songs. I absolutely love Dear Evan Hansen. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Anyways. Oh, so we should probably do that. Maybe coming soon to a screen near you if we can ever put that together. We we just got mm-hmm. inspired by the Chicago PowerShell conference. Well, I think what made us inspired was the fact that it's very simple and we're very charismatic some days. It depends on the mood and the amount of alcohol consumption, but yes, we can be. We... Exactly. I mean, yeah, that's fine. I mean, we can be charismatic enough. Exactly. We might say insulting things, though, that can't be edited out. It's lovingly insulting things. It, it is. We mean it with love. Yes. I never validate feelings, so you, you'll never really know where I stand. Speaking of love and my everlasting love for teams. Oh, no. Are you going to hate on teams again? I promise I'll keep it short. <laughs> You're not going to go on an hour rant about how much team sucks? Nope. I'm, I'm going to hope this is a quick one. This should just be the airing of the grievances for teams of the week, and then we'll just we'll just move on without even thinking about it. Is there an easier way to tell who is presently in a teams meeting? Bueller. What do you mean? Bueller. So this happened to me the other day. I was five minutes late to a meeting, and apparently in the span of those five minutes, the meeting just happened and I don't know how I missed it and I'm usually not that late to meetings but I usually don't miss them entirely but in teams I can't seem to comprehend or find any UI element that can tell me who is currently in a meeting or if the meeting is still happening not to mention you can still join the meeting call even after it's technically ended and when you do that everyone else gets a notification saying that oh Steve has entered the meeting join now and everyone else kind of messages you goes no you schmuck we we, we finished. We're done. You didn't show up. Teams doesn't seem to really communicate that very well. Even when you open the Teams event and show the participants, it'll just show you who accepted and who's around and who's in the call, maybe. But it seems to be inconsistent, and it's really weird that you can actually restart a meeting if you're late and you're not paying attention. Yeah, that's a good point. I never had thought about that, but I have, on several occasions, joined the meeting, and everyone's like, uh, hey, Tiff, uh, we, we finished that like a half an hour ago. And I'm like, wait, what? Lately, I've been, I've had these phenomenons where I've been like a minute or two late to a meeting and the meetings were so short and brief that they happened before I could even jump in. And I was like, wait, what, what, what did you really? And wait, this happened? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, that definitely, I could see, could definitely cause some confusion, especially with the, um, persistent chat where it doesn't go away and once the meeting started and you're just like okay who was really here who wasn't who do i ask questions i don't want to like throw it in the chat because it's not everyone needs these questions there should be a stamp in the chat saying the meeting has ended here's the recap maybe like that after meeting experience that was teased oh that's a good point looping it all together things to think about microsoft maybe figure out a way to definitively end a meeting and let Latecomers like myself know that the meeting has ended and you were too late. And most of all, don't try to restart a meeting if you were the late guy trying to get in, and which then sends a notification to everybody. That's just really embarrassing. I have, you're right. On ha- on a couple of occasions, I'm just like, oof. Now everyone's gonna know that I uh, wasn't there. It kind of just makes me not want to join meetings anymore because now I'm just socially conscious about this. Right, because you're going to be like, oh, now everyone's going to know that I joined the meeting or didn't join the meeting. Rude. Rude. Anyways. Rude. Anyways, I promise I'd keep it brief, and I've said my piece about teams, at least for this week. Here's something that might probably affect less than 50 people. If you use KeePass and the Key plugin for Firefox, which is a hook into the KeePass password manager, which basically provides the same integrations that, say, maybe LastPass or 1Password would provide in the browser, you need to patch your KeePass RPC plugin right now. There was the equivalent of a zero-day vulnerability that was published. Basically, this was sent out in an email to the key newsletter which offers not only the key plugin for firefox which is free but the key vault service which is a paid service kind of like an online maybe LastPass or 
1Password competitor, but they said you should really download this plugin. It'll not only patch out the vulnerability that was discovered, but it will also be compatible with the latest version of Key, which has been a massive version upgrade for Firefox and I believe Chrome. I don't remember if this extension is available for Chrome or not. I... Yeah, I, uh, I admittedly still use Chrome and I don't know why because I went to go buy something yesterday and it was like, you need to enable cookies. And I was like, no, this thing is going to sell out and now I have to switch browsers. Yeah, it's, I don't know. My, my biases against Chrome are out in the open and I have no shame yeah, about airing No, them. I I now feel them. And when you're trying to buy a limited edition Sailor Moon makeup set, uh. And it's going to sell out, and then you have to switch browsers. Now, yeah, now now I'm sad. I got it, though. I get around that by using an, a user agent switcher in Firefox just to pretend that I'm Chrome to the website, but I'm actually using Firefox. That, that's what I should do, because I was so upset. I was like, ah, it better not run out by the time I switch browsers, because... I mean, I don't like to do that because it still kind of signals to the browser that yeah. Chrome is a dominant web browser. But if, if it's literally blocking me from using it, I guess I'll, I'll do what I got to do. Well, that's what I mean is why, like, how, how is the browser usable? How? Just how? I, I don't know. Um, anyways. Anyways. I'm going to stop being upset about this because I still did get to purchase my Sailor Moon makeup. So it's fine specific details about the key pass plugin vulnerability if you have your key pass unlocked and it's open and the plugin file is currently reading it an attacker can basically get into your key pass database and read your password so th- this is this is why it was rated very severely and says just patch it out and get this fixed now mm, makes sense yep it's not a difficult thing to patch out you just have to make sure key pass is closed you download the plugin to see your downloads folder drag and drop it into your key pass plugins folder which is in your program files x86 directory and just replace it you might need admin creds because it's program files and then restart key pass and that should be it you should be all patched up so patch your key pass rpc file now patchy patch 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 speaking of patches um, Microsoft 365 Exchange Online has provided some legacy crappy basic auth options in the <laughs> admin oh, center. I you say crappy. Well, I mean, is is Pop really? They're okay. Do you, do you consider Pop anything but crappy in the year 2020? No, it's so crappy. The fact that anybody still uses Pop and IMAP, like, okay. I'm being a hypocrite because there are some cases where pop is the better solution. Don't ever quote me on that. It's not, uh, no, it's not okay. It shouldn't be okay. Um, no, but there's still some like shitty software out there. Please edit out my bad word. Um, <laughs> Just let it out, all out. There that doesn't let you configure things the right way. So you have to go back to using mm, basic authentication. I just had to uh, censor myself um in order to <laughs> this is really hard um, microsoft actually just calls it mm, basic authentication mm, mm, authentication mm. Mm. that's how i feel <laughs> grumble grumble feel free to switch to modern authentication mm, modern <laughs> not mm, basic authentication <laughs> this is how i imagine microsoft uh, writes these kb articles yeah they're they're just typing i bet that when they get to editing they have to take out all the mm. a lot of m's are deleted. you just see behind the scenes these new mm, modern ui options tell us how you really feel crappy yeah crappy methods are sometimes better i guess they need to keep them around for no don't reason. say that they're not better i'll say better i, don't know why I said that that's not okay i mean i'll say better with the biggest air quotes i can possibly say and they even say here that this is part of their roadmap they are still getting rid of basic auth this is kind of a holdover feature and they do say that there are kind of better ways to manage this as well you can use things like authentication policies and uh, security 
security defaults um, as alternatives, mm. whichever one suits your fancy. But these options are kind of more on a global scale. So if you don't want to set a policy, you can flip on or off um, IMAP, POP, Exchange Active Sync, Auto Discover, Authenticated SMTP, Exchange Online PowerShell, the not the not modern one. The not modern one. Well, so this is nice because the granularity, because before it was like a pain, a PIA for lack of better terms to be able to granularly disable these. Uh, it would be a matter of like creating conditional access policies and putting some people in there. And this is just a complete, just a, a complete solution for bad practices. I applaud this. It's very nice. I don't know if I'm ever going to need it or use it, but it's nice to have if you need it in a pinch and can't use those other two alternate solutions. No, because there's a word in there called legacy, not just basic. So no pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> no Starbucks authentication for you. Yeah, no, go to Modern Off. I'm twitching now. It's fine. Pay a few extra bucks, go up the road to the local coffee shop that uses modern authentication. Modern authentication, <laughs> modern methods. Uh, so stop buying the cheap yes, stuff. Yes, just cut it, cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Anyways, I'm going to stop talking about this topic because <laughs> I <laughs> I feel like, uh, what's his face? Mr. Garrison from the South Park movie. Oh, yeah, Mr. Garrison. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Garrison would be very happy to discuss our next topic, which is... He really... <laughs> that was accidental. Yeah, completely mm. intentionally accidental. <laughs> yeah, no, that was great. So Windows 10 is Windows 5 this month, week... I forget mm, what day it is. Okay. So I remember when Windows 10 first released, I was using the Insider Builds actually before it was fully released back in the 8.1 days. Basically, so Windows 10 has existed for five years. It still exists, I suppose. It has lasted almost the length of a normal Microsoft operating system lifecycle at this point. If I recall, Windows 7 was released towards either the beginning of 2009. I want to say it was the beginning of 2009 and was supported all the way up through January. Well, extended support at least went all the way up through January of this year. But Windows 10 has lasted about five years. To say it's been one operating system is a bit of a lie because Windows 10 has gone through many different feature updates. I think we're almost in double digits at this point with the nearly two feature updates a year cadence, which may or may not be changing in the upcoming months. But it's been a fun wild ride, I suppose, with ups and downs, various growing pains and unresolved conflicts. And resolved conflicts, it all depends on your point of view as a system admin or IT person whether or not Windows 10 is good or bad. I'm kind of in the middle. I have good days with it. I have bad days with it. But for better or worse, Windows 10 has turned five. Yay, five. Hooray. I mean, that was really uneventful. And I'm not, how would, why would Mr. Garrison be happy about that? Because he teaches elementary school? Yeah, he would, or you know, yeah. t 10 is a nice, you know, even number. If you're teaching elementary yeah. school, oh, and you got to know one through 10. It's nice, I well, guess. Well, aren't they like five-year-olds anyways? Yeah. The characters. Yeah. So. Were you still learning the numbers one through ten when you were five? I don't know. I, I was still learning English, how to read. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> I probably I'm, was too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm still learning how to read. It's a lifetime journey. Thirty plus years strong. We're still learning how to yeah, read. We're still going. Still yep. going. Hooked on phonics. Mm -hmm. Let's rank cloud providers. This is this is one of my favorite games. You know which one sucks the most? iCloud. iCloud. iCloud screwed me over this week, and I just had to, I have to vent about it. It was emotional. Particularly with KeePass. I went to open my KeePass database this week, which I had for the past maybe year or two stored it exclusively in iCloud Drive, and I went to open it, and I went to open a password or a login for something that I recently generated, and I went to search for it, and I noticed it wasn't there. And I was like, I know for a fact it was in here, because I was searching for it, and it had been there before, but suddenly it's gone. I look at the date modified, and I realized it hadn't been modified in about a week, and I was like, no, I 
definitely saved this and had been actively using this. So I started to look, I was like, all right, what did iCloud Drive do to this? I look at the sink, I was like, no, it's it sank it down. So I grabbed my Surface and I noticed that the, the KDBX file on that machine was newer and it contained the passwords that I needed. Of course, when I reconnected my service to the network, iCloud then decided that the older version was the current version. So it wiped out my older version of the K KDBX file, which actually contained the more recent edits made, which was like maybe plus five logins, and some of them were fairly crucial, and I just wiped it out. And I was like, uh-oh, this isn't good. iCloud just got really confused and deleted my KeePass file, replacing it with an older one. I need to go back to the versioning and check out if I can find the older one and fix this up manually. And then I found out iCloud Drive has no such versioning UI. The one that Dropbox has, the one that Google Drive has, the one that I'm pretty sure BoxSync has, iCloud Drive just doesn't have it. The only way you can maybe get some semblance of a version history in iCloud Drive is if you happen to have a Mac nearby, and only then, if you open the said file, a little box will show up and say, there are multiple copies of this file that conflict with each other in iCloud Drive. Please select the one that you want to save right now. No other options, just check one off, click OK, it will nuke the other one and you basically have no control over it. So what I had to do is I had to do a multi multiple computer rescue operation where I took the older file on my desktop running iCloud Drive, copied to my desktop out of the synced folder region jurisdiction of iCloud Drive. Then on the Mac, I clicked, okay, restore the older one, which then immediately wiped out the other file and was the one I wanted, but the other file, the other other file had edits made that were not present in it, so I had to merge these changes. But good thing I had multiple computers and I had the foresight to copy it out of the synced folder because I would have lost logins otherwise. My point here is iCloud Drive is really crappy and I don't recommend it to anyone. Out of all the cloud providers, I would rank it the worst. If I had to order them, I would rank it OneDrive, Dropbox, Google Drive, BoxSync, iCloud, because the first four of those at least have a versioning UI that makes sense iCloud Drive is really primitive, and after all these years, since at least 2011 when iCloud was announced, they still can't figure this out. It's kind of unacceptable. So if you want to lose data, use iCloud Drive. If you don't want to use data, use literally anything else. I believe I had something similar happen a few years ago, and I haven't used iCloud Drive since. That was the straw that broke the Kemble's back for me. Yeah. I think I blamed KeePass, but <laughs> I think it might have been iCloud. I'm, I'm going to probably say I blame iCloud in this instance. Mostly because less about the incident that occurred. Yes, conflicts can happen. And when that does happen, it's not hard to just restore a version back and manually merge your changes. The, the problem that I found unacceptable is just there was no versioning UI really to begin with. Other than mm. if I happen to have a Mac, which I may not all the time. I just really luckily happen to have one nearby configured with iCloud Drive. And then it only circumstantially showed up the conflict dialogue. With OneDrive, I could have just gone to the web interface and showed the version history from any computer, any platform in the web UI. But iCloud Drive just doesn't, it just doesn't have this. The web interface on iCloud.com is just really sparse, slow, doesn't have a lot of the features everything else has. And that's saying something. It's worse than BoxSync. BoxSync is not great, but it at least has a lot of these features. That's true. BoxSync is also not great. Yeah, I used to use BoxSync a lot, but BoxSync's client, I don't think has updated since at least 2016 or maybe earlier. Uh, dang. BoxSync has its own issues that I could probably rant about, but it's at least a little better than iCloud Drive. I don't know if it's because I use OneDrive the most, but I have to say it's my favorite. Yeah, I don't use a lot of cloud services anymore since I got my own, I built my own NAS and I have VP, I configured VPN remote access to it. I'm trying to kind of more roll my own quote unquote cloud access. But the one I do use is exclusively OneDrive now and OneDrive just has the most features. Yeah, I just like how it's not complex by any means. It's just like a SharePoint document list. It's just a list. And, I, and I'm and i okay with that. And at least it just works and they update it regularly and it hasn't steered me wrong so far. 
the primary reason I was storing my only my key pass files in one, in iCloud Drive was because I kind of wanted to diversify my cloud provider portfolio just a little bit. And having an iOS device as my cell phone, it was kind of nice to just pull it up in the Files app without having to install any additional app. However, the technical shortcomings of iCloud Drive have really reared their ugly head, so I'm going to stop using it now officially because of that. I can't accept data loss as over any other possible benefit that it can provide. That's true. No, I I haven't used it in years because of that. Because uh, they definitely lost me this week, so I'm not I'm not going back to it at this point. I I believe I have one still cuz I'm I'm cuz I still have like the the me.com account and all that jazz. I use other parts of iCloud. I do use iCloud Mail and I do have a me.com address because I had my iCloud my iCloud account is that old. It was from the mobile me days. Yeah, I love mobile me days. It was Apple is so ahead of the curve on, on all that and then they just like fell off very quickly. They had a lot of really innovative ideas that predated all the other cloud services, but they just you know they do the they do the Apple thing where they just kind of let it sit and then competitors just kind of smoke them. Yeah, they wait too long. Anyway, so yeah, that was anyway that was my quick little story on iCloud Drive and how you shouldn't if you're if you're using it for anything just stop. If you're a sysadmin using it, just stop. If you're using it in your org, use something else. <laughs> That's my recommendation. Since we've been working from home, I think our diets have probably kind of gone out the window. Mm. But particularly as yeah. You know, as IT people, I think we kind of have our own preferences and we don't all just drink coffee all the time. We have other... Wait, we don't? Well, I I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. I, <laughs> I, I do remember that one time you did drink coffee all day, that one time. I still drink an absolute, <laughs> an absolutely ungodly amount of coffee per day. Yeah. I was just curious. Anyways... <laughs> <laughs> there are there other things to eat and drink while sysadmining, sysadmining, particularly when working from home? Um, the hardest part, I mean, not specifically, but I have to not buy snacks, like chips and stuff, because I right. will just like eat a whole bag and then not not cook real food. Yeah, I, I don't know if this is helping or hurting me health-wise. I do tend to snack, but I only do it once a day. I actually kind of don't eat lunch anymore. I kind of just... No. So I will I will have a full quote unquote healthy breakfast. I usually kinda eat tend to eat mostly the same thing every day. It's like have the morning stand up meeting, I go down, I'll make a bagel, have blueberries, and then get like the first coffee cup of coffee of like maybe fifteen of the day. I'll have that and I'll consider like breakfast kind of my mostly go to meal of the day until about dinner. Maybe around lunchtime I'll go down and then that's kinda when I start tearing into the bag of chips or something. Mm. But I try to limit myself. I'll get like a small bowl and I'll fill the bowl and then only consume the bowl downstairs away from my desk. That way I'm not bringing it back up. And that kind of- That's smart. It helps mitigate it a little bit. Coffee comes comes and goes, of course, because I, yeah. I don't consider coffee to be a problem. Snacks are where I fall short. I will say that's similar. In the morning, I'll wait to eat breakfast a little later, and I'll usually make like a smoothie as a filler. Uh, so in between, I'm not snacking. And then oftentimes, by the time I've eaten breakfast and then had my smoothie, because I'll use like a protein powder in it, I don't even want lunch because I'm plenty full and then it'll be like three o'clock and i'm like now i'm hungry but dinner's in like an hour or two hours yeah i kind of have the three o'clock slump too i'm just like oh man i have to make it two more hours to dinner but man i could really go for something so but i'm so hungry right now some days are worse than others and it depends on the workload or what stupid Mm -hmm. stupid thing is happening of the day that's so true that's cool yeah i was just curious if my 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 diet of coffee and random snacking once in the middle of the day is of any consequence or sounds completely out of line. Right. No, I'm I'm with you. I had to reduce coffee some. I'm hanging in there. It makes sense. I've been making iced coffee more often. Mm, that does sound good. It's more of a trying to limit my caffeine intake overall. Yeah, I can see that being a problem or a potential it's so problem. Sad. It is sad because when you have to dump something, you're really like... Yeah, autoimmune disease problems. Hashtag. Ooh, ouch. Good times. Good times. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, so ba- yeah. So that's why like, I think this has worked out fine for me because throughout the quarantine, 
I've been finding out that uh, you can't ignore an autoimmune disease, so you kind of have to like eat okay or cut out certain things. So no gluten and no coffee for me. So I've had similar issues with kind of sugary or desserty kind of snacks, mm-hmm. and I've tried to limit myself. I was like, okay, I'll just kind of do chips if I have to, and that will be the quote unquote bad food, the bad food of the day, right. and really try to reduce the sugary, chocolatey anything if I can help it. And I was trying to train my brain to be more like coffee is fine. You know, coffee is kind of the reward. Yeah, no, coffee's like a good dessert drink. It's a good all the time drink. It is. I personally don't put sugar in coffee either, so I Mm -mm. completely avoid the sugar component of that entirely. I just do cream and regular coffee. So cream has a little bit of sugar in it and its own fat content. When used in moderation, it's definitely, I think, manageable, and at least for the quantities that I drink it in. It's plenty fine. I honestly like black coffee. It matches my soul. Oh, that's soul. right. I forgot. Yes. I'm I'm not a true cis admin. I don't I don't I don't like black coffee that much. Oh yeah. I forgot that about you. It's okay. I still accept you as a human. I'm a weirdo. No, I just think the cis admins are typically weirdos. <laughs> yeah, we're all we're all weirdos inside. Bland with no soul. I remember I had a networking instructor in high school and he loved black coffee and I remember he would always give everyone crap. He'd be like, nope, you're not a true networking administrator, system administrator, IT person, unless you have black coffee. Those words have stuck with me, but I, I just can't do it. I guess I'll just never be a true sysadmin. No, you won't be. Only part-time. Speaking of part-time, so Windows updates. And when I say speaking of part-time, it has nothing to do with this topic because I just couldn't. <laughs> I was wondering. I'm like, I don't know where you're going with this, but okay. I'm going to just take it. I can come up with a relatable transition on the fly, but this, I just I just said something random. I said, so anyways. And honestly, I was getting really excited and I was like, wow, our transitions are on point tonight. And then I realized that it had nothing to do with what we were talking about next. Yep. And then I wrecked it with this. Windows updates. They've become definitely a complicated topic in the past couple of years to kind of bring it back more on the Windows 10 discussion of all things. Windows updates, they've changed a lot in the years since Windows 7, Windows XP. They've kind of consolidated down from a model of we vomit out 30 updates every patch Tuesday and you install them, but you have more granular control over what you can install at the expense of maybe going insane, trying to manage them all and keep track of them all. But at the same time, rolling all these updates into one cumulative monthly update, or maybe one to three cumulative monthly updates, they separate a couple categories out. That can lead to problems, because if you have one small issue, you have to roll back the entire update on the system. And that's not super great for a lot of businesses. My question is kind of what do folks do for patching? What is the model or what's the kind of feel of the room? Because I've heard a lot of different opinions. I myself have gone through a couple different iterations of this depending on the job or the place that I've worked at's paradigm of patching. Also historical events with Microsoft patching, especially as of the past three or to four years or so. I guess, I don't know if you have any any insight into that, Tiff, or in, in the places you've worked at or if there's been any pulse on that. No, they're, they're all pretty terrible <laughs> it, as far as patching models go. I feel like it's always the thing that's left out many times. And then it's sort of just it, let them run or don't let them run or we, we're not there yet. The whole we're not there yet thing is that's a that's a common theme for sure. Unfortunately, like I've yet to be at a place that's like we're there. Uh, We're ready to start cumulatively updating everything all of the time. And a lot of places I've heard, you know, they will either disable Windows updates or set it to manual and they won't Mm -hmm. have consistent patch windows. They'll say, oh, okay, we'll schedule a one time catch up patch for everything. And that's the only way we can be sure that updates don't sneak in and break things on us. Currently where I am, the domain controllers are the only thing that are on the continuous patching. But other than that, that's it. No, at least like that's in the right direction. I'll take that as a win. When I had full control at an organization over the patching, I kind of erred on the side of I was hearing, I would kind of look up patch news through the patch management mailing list. And my general thought was I would usually release patches maybe monthly or bi-weekly. This was before patches kind of switched to a monthly model. Um, Patch Tuesday is the second Tuesday of the month, but back then they kind of sent out patches a little more often. Maybe they still do, 
maybe I may have just disconnected from it, but this was before the cumulative model when you kind of had to manage a lot more updates in Windows Server Update Services, WSauce. 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 So fun fact, I named that update server Dubsauce at that job because I had the ability to rebuild that server at one point. And I was like, well, let's call it Dubsauce just to be funny. Dub- I love that. Dubsauce. Yeah, it, it just made sense. Everyone knew what it was. What's this? What's the Windows Server update server? Dubsauce. Oh, yeah. Dubsauce. WSUS Dubsauce. Or, or Wuss. Or Wuss. That's my other favorite one. Wuss is an interesting one, except I don't quite <laughs> get that one because there's an S in the middle of Windows Server update <laughs> services. So you're kind of like dropping a letter and I don't, I don't know. I'm sorry to those who say it. It just... It's just funny. It's cute. It's very cute. I'd rather call it dub sauce. That was my, my personal thing. You can pick. keep calling it dub sauce. No one is telling you you can't call it dub sauce. I will still call it dub sauce. Keep, keep calling it dub sauce. So with dub sauce. Anyways. <laughs> what, what, I would, what I would do is I would read the patch management mailing list and I would kind of use other people as canaries in the coal mine. And if I heard that updates were causing problems, I would just not approve those patches. But the only really way to get good data on that and apply a model where you're kind of doing a wait and see approach is you kind of have to delay releasing your patches. And what I would do was at the time before the monthly switch over, I would maybe wait two weeks. And I would set a reminder. I would say, check the mailing list, just catch up. Have there been any bad patches? And if so, skip over them. Try to get the KB numbers if you can to make it real, real easy and release everything else. Now, with a cumulative update model, it gets more tricky because if one bad issue is in the update, you can't deploy the entire month of updates. And what makes it worse is, you know, you're it's like a whole 30-day cycle. So what you kind of have to do, and it kind of, it's not great, and this is more on Microsoft to fix their QA than anything else, is my current strategy idea recommendation is don't stay on the bleeding edge of patches currently. There's been just too many documented issues dating all the way back to 2017. 2018 was a real bad one in particular. And in this year, most notably, there were printing issues just back in June. And I believe there was one right before that as well. But things just kind of break. The only real way to ensure that your environment isn't going to be busted based on these patches is maybe just stay a month back. It is kind of awful because you have the issues like the DNS vulnerability. Luckily, there was a workaround for that. You kind of need to err on the side of caution because you can't break the business. If you break the business, you're going to be in a whole greater amount of trouble than staying about one month behind on patches. So it's one of those things where you should kind of not really do quote-unquote knee-jerk patching. There's a nice article I found, and I have it in the show notes, that was kind of lays out the explanation of knee-jerk patching and how it's not the greatest given Microsoft's quality track record in recent years since they don't really QA their updates anymore. They rather inexcusably have the users, the user base QA it, which is not something that should ever be done in a business setting, but I digress. Shout out in particular to Susan Bradley, who is... Heck yeah, Susan. Susan Bradley is excellent. She keeps Microsoft honest. She's in the pulse of the patch community on the patch management mailing list. She does surveys on what the general feel of the community is in terms of Microsoft's patch quality. And she has pull and influence in Microsoft as an MP, as an MVP. And in particular, she just put out the latest patching survey. I think it has closed as of this week for the month of July 2020 for the latest data. The last time this got really bad, she wrote an open letter to Microsoft in 2018. And she was a guest on the Run As Radio podcast to kind of talk about the state of the patching union. Oh, wow. And I listened to this podcast yesterday. It's a really, really good listen. Oh, I'll have to check it out. A lot of it actually still applies today. It was talking in particular about the Meltdown Inspector patches, but it was also talking about how that particular patch month, I think it was June or July of 2018, was really, really bad. And it it brought up the same discussion we're talking about now, which is, what do you do? You know, it's not the greatest thing to hear that a lot of sysadmins are staying a month back on patches just because they don't want to be the first one on the bleeding edge to get their head chopped off by a bad update that gets resolved a month later. Right. And in the current world example, Windows 10 2004, it's a mess. If you open its current issues page on Microsoft's site as of 
this podcast, or at least as of the last time I checked it, there were four, 14 issues still in investigating status. Windows 10 2004 has been out for a couple of months now, and it's just inexcusable to have that many issues still in an active state, to the point where Microsoft is actually still blocking certain hardware classes from receiving this update, particularly their very own Surface Pro 7 and Surface Which Book. is ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. That is unreal. There should not be that much discourse. I don't think discourse is the right word. There shouldn't be that much of an issue when it comes to releasing the update on their own hardware, which should be the flagship hardware for receiving these updates. It should be like the Google Pixel of getting Windows updates. Exactly. And I mean, while we're on this topic, they clearly test these updates on their live servers which always have some sort of, I mean, now I'm just going to rant about how there's always something broken with Teams this past week. Oh, Sorry, yeah. I just need to rant about that. Like, stop patching your own stuff. It's breaking everything. Or at least like. <laughs> or at least like test it. Yeah, don't test in production. Have a, te- you know, have a te- I can't believe I'm telling Microsoft this. Have a test environment. You know. Jeez. Keep track of when your SSL certs expire. Exactly. Teams. Because no one likes when Teams doesn't work. Or Outlook. OA. Especially since Teams adoption has exploded in the past couple of months for pandemic-y reasons. But really, seriously, it's just getting old. You know, it's the same it's the same story we're kind of parroting, but with Windows 10 2004, we're just kind of reinvigorating these discussions. Um, Susan Bradley is wonderful at kind of wording this maybe probably a whole lot better than I, than I can regurgitate at this point, but it's happening with Windows 10 2004, almost a deja vu of the 1803 incident, and I definitely recommend Ugh. i definitely recommend checking out the show notes of her open letter and her discussion on the run ass podcast it's really awesome in the meantime what is a sensible approach to it it's proper risk assessment if we don't patch what is at risk can we mitigate it do we need this patch if we do patch what is at risk do we in parentheses plus microsoft know what we could break and then the onus is also on you as a system administrator where you can identify potential vulnerabilities and holes in your infrastructure by looking at your own product pipeline and inventory and just looking at what could possibly be breached, then you make your own judgment. So in lieu of having proper patching QA, we unfortunately kind of have to take these extra steps and also look at the very real possibility that we may have to maybe delay our patching a little bit, lest we break the business by deploying these patches at the bleeding edge and suddenly there's a massive problem and it's just a headache for everyone in general and Microsoft could really get a lot better with the feedback. It's very true. I mean, it looks like the biggest impact is on endpoints, really, uh, user computer especially if you're running into issues with office and so forth that is what i've noticed in the past couple of months the issues definitely are more on the windows 10 end but the problem is windows server 2016 and 2019 and kind of base themselves off of windows 10 as well mm. so while the classific the category of issues may not necessarily affect the server world there's every once in a while it does so it's not the greatest situation to be in right now i mean i have seen issues with office uh especially the click to run version in the past month or so yes um, there was the issue where folks had to completely do uninstall office to fix an issue where outlook literally could not start yes and i've seen like some other identity related errors since the new Office update and Windows updates where it'll just give you some error about how TPM is all messed up, like how your TPM is failing, and then there's a registry edit to go and correct that. So, I mean, updates everywhere are definitely causing problems. So that's why I think to your suggestion of really needing to micromanage what updates are being rolled out and how they interact and basically um, affect other updates is a necessity at this point that is true yeah hopefully the latest survey that susan put out will maybe prompt another open letter about all this perhaps hopefully we shall see because no one wants to be an update doctor hold on let me triage let me test and see how this one affects that's not the point i mean there's a lot better things we could be focusing on than windows updates again right (laughs) again right it's so repetitive and really Microsoft should be testing those before they're rolling them out and it almost seems like it's different teams that are responsible for rolling out their updates and they're not like checking in with the other team like hey 1909 update person we're releasing an office update today can you just run it through your cycles and make sure it won't you know make sure at the very minimum make sure Outlook opens 
I imagine that they do, but they can't tell where everyone is. I mean, if you're not doing consistent updating in your own organization, they're only testing on what they have currently. They're not going to backdate. And if you contact support, they're going to be like on the newest, but then you have all these issues that Susan points out. So you're not going to want to update it. So you're getting the office updates on a month old Windows 10 and you're going to have issues because they're updating or they're testing on the most current version, but you don't trust it because it has security vulnerabilities out the window. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well said. Yeah. So the, even just the, the offset of versions can be a problem, but it's all, it's all synergy here. It all needs to be in sync because if one isn't working, then suddenly the versions mismatch and then you have a problem. Exactly. So it's, I mean, Susan definitely hits the nail on the head as far as it being a frustrating experience for everyone. Okay. So I think, I think we've, uh, done enough therapy on windows updates for yeah it's a long topic it's a long long topic we could go on for decades oh yeah about windows update and it's ongoing maybe we'll maybe we'll have a follow-up to this another week you know how 2004 still has not been unblocked for surface devices still so it's an ongoing drama hooray i've actually noticed an issue with 2004 in my graphics card for some reason since i've updated Occasionally, I'll just get some screen shutter, and it has nothing to do with my graphics card, or all I have to do is restart and it goes away. And it's ever since installing 2004. I believe one of the known issues is with NVIDIA video drivers. Mm-hmm. That would make right sense. Now. I believe that was one of the headline issues. <laughs> I'll have to double check that page again. I just I just closed yeah. the tab, but yeah, I think that I I just remember from memory that was one of the big ones. It's really frustrating because um you just move the mouse around, and the whole screen just kind of shutters. And Ooh. yeah, I've updated my graphics card, but if that's on the list of issues, I'm just gonna have to wait. Yeah, I haven't updated 2004 anywhere just yet, but yeah, I, I do have Nvidia. I do have Nvidia cards, so I'll, um that's thanks for the warning. I'll have to continue continue waiting before i update i'm in no hurry at the moment yeah no it's all right i mean i don't i got like a little notification about the clipboard it's like you can use extended clipboard that's a 2004 feature isn't it or am i making that up uh the windows clipboard i believe was 1903 or 1909 i want to say clearly i use it enough i want to say it was 1903 i can't remember exactly i think so it was the first time I've seen them like yell at me and be like, "Look, you can use this awesome clipboard." And they must have brought it to the forefront now. Yeah, we um we covered Windows clipboard, I think. We did. Earlier, I remember now. In an earlier episode of Hope This Helps. <laughs> I thought it was for 2004, and that's why I think I Oh, here we go. In episode 4 of Hope This Helps, we discussed the Windows clipboard <laughs> from version 1809 specifically was where it debuted oh and that's like the worst one too oh no ah Ah, there goes my memory that's all right so don't listen to anything i just said because i failed at checking it was completely by chance that i clicked a random episode in our show notes archive and i that happened to be the show that had the our spotlight on windows clipboard i guess this is a good thing though that we're into 23 episodes so we've done enough episodes that i'm now mixing content together yep yeah no getting confused by having too many episodes with too much good content is a good thing yeah so i I combined our 2004 episode with our clipboard episode yeah wow that's a throwback episode four yeah remember episode four that was pre-pandemic that was that was a while ago wow that that was a happy time we could still go little did we know january wow we've been doing this for like eight months you know, in a couple of months, we're, we'll be coming up on the one-year anniversary. I hope this helps. Yay. That's something. That is something. You know what's also something? That is accurate. Our favorite segment. Welcome to That is Accurate for the week of Sysadmin Day, July 31st. So, Steve, did you know a fun fact about the Firefox logo? I did not. Did you know that it is not a fox? What? It's not? It isn't. No, it's a red panda. I feel like I'd, I've i heard that somewhere. That is. But I I kind of, I, I guess I don't know why that's significant in any sort of way. I feel violated. I feel like I've been lied to. <laughs> I mean, did someone tell you that it's a fox? Or did you just assume it because of the name? I assumed it. I never looked into it. And I never knew this until you looked it up. I kind of just thought it was a thing. 
a fire fox is not a real animal, really. I just thought fire and fox. And specifically, if you're a Nintendo fan, um, Star Fox has a special move in Super Smash Brothers, and it is called Fire Fox with a space. And that was in 1999. Um, oh. I can't remember if Firefox existed in 99 off the top of my head. It might have still been the Mozilla Suite or Netscape or Phoenix. It was probably Netscape. So I think that the Nintendo implementation of Firefox precedes actual Mozilla Firefox. So that's what I think of, at least, when I think Firefox. Yeah. Just a nonsensical, symbolic thing. But I guess the actual... Um, animal f- representing Firefox is not a fox. In fact, it's a red panda. Well, I guess according to the Google, a Firefox is just a red panda, which makes sense. It's just a, a red panda that looks like a red fox. I can't quite um, comprehend that. I guess calling it red panda would not have taken off as a product as much as Firefox. Yeah, I mean, Netscape was bought by AOL. The sale resulted in a need for novelty, so the team started working on a new project called Phoenix. However, they soon had to change their name because it had already been taken by another company in the field of technology. Yes, and I remember reading that reason. Um, No, I watched a Mozilla documentary on YouTube, I believe. Which covered that. That's where I heard that In recently. 2004, Mozilla was finally launched. In 2008, despite good performance, the browser had to fight against a new giant. Dun, dun, dun. Chrome. I mean, Internet, Internet Explorer was also still kind of huge. Oh, wow. The logo in 2002 is like a, a chicken. No, I think that's supposed to be a phoenix. That's supposed to be a phoenix. It would have been a phoenix. Yeah. No, I'm like, that looks like a fire chicken. Oh, that's a phoenix. Yeah, Phoenix, I think Phoenix was Phoenixes are just fire chickens. Well, I mean, it makes sense. Oh, it all makes sense now. Fire chickens as Phoenix. Uh, fire foxes are red pandas. Right? Yeah, there you go. Oh, it wow. All, it all ties together. It does. Wow. I am I feel educated now. I feel very educated and full of something. Knowledge. 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 All full right. Of, full of something. Well, let's learn some more things with our question of the week. Yes. Do you prefer boring, informative server names or custom ones? I've done both. I love both. I I like both, but I can justify both at the same time. You know, yes. It's the it's the um the paradigm of cattle, not pets. So you don't want to yeah. You know, put a lot of energy into naming a server as much as you want to be creative, because what if that server has to be replaced or has a life cycle? Or crashes and burns and you have to rebuild it and you can't have the same name again you know why waste all right. that energy at the same time it just kind of makes it fun one place i worked at we had funny names for all the servers and it just gave it character like i wouldn't name like like my domain controller something funny or silly but i will say that casper is still one of my longtime favorite uh network drive names i remember in an old job, we had the DCs named as Star, Star Fury, and Star Killer. Mm, I like that. Those were good names. And then we had some other server names based on Greek gods. I think that was kind of a, that's sort of an old school way of naming servers. And then I just gave some stuff funny names like Dub Sauce or... Dub Sauce. You're back on the Dub Sauce. Yeah, I'm just all about the Dub Sauce tonight. Mm, dub Sauce in it. It's escaping me what other names I gave stuff now. I, I swear I had other yeah. funny names, but I just can't think of them. I yeah, I, I I've just been naming stuff boring for so long now and uniformed that I forgot about all the fun ones. But Casper, I just I can't forget about that one. That one's probably still on my favorite ones. We had two ghost servers at an old job. One was named Casper, and the other was named Slimer. Like that's so brilliant. Those were good names. They all made sense because the project was ghost. Yeah, I like to name my hard drives, like after Stormtroopers. Um, I've gone through phases where I've named my hard drives occasionally, but when I've reinstalled yeah. the OS, I sometimes just don't bother to, to rename the volumes. Yeah. Randomly, too, my random thought that just popped in my mind is that I hate when I like reformat my phone and it'll be like Tiffany's iPhone, and I'm like, I would never name my phone that. It always bugs me that Macs have their default name as Macintosh HD. Yeah! Yes. Because I have a couple of protests for that. 
First of all, there hasn't been a product in Apple's line named the Macintosh in over 20 years, I'd say, at this point. No, it, they're calling them Macs now, so why not call it the Mac HD? Second, why are you calling it an HD? There has been no mechanical spinning disks in most Apple products for quite some time either, so calling it a Macintosh hard disk is kind of incorrect. So whenever I do an SSD upgrade on a Mac for somebody, I actually change the volume name to Macintosh SSD or Mac SSD, whichever one I'm feeling. You know, it depends on how much I want to type that day. Mm. That's just, that's a correction I always will never hesitate to make in the Apple world. That and obliterating spaces in names of computers, like, you know, like you said, Tiff's iPhone. It's like, no. Because in DNS and NetBIOS, that gets all kind of screwed up if you have a space in a name. Just never put spaces in computer names. So no spaces in, uh, in names. Yep. And with that, I think we're at the end of the show now. Yeah, look at that. We talked for way too long. This has been a long one. Whoa. I almost just said we were super photogenic today, and that is not the right word. We're super photogenic. See? See? Exactly. Can you see my giant smile through the microphone? Look at me right now. You can, you can see me, right? Can you see my screen? I'm on mute, I can right? see. Yeah. Can you see my screen? Can you, can you hear me? Is this thing on? <laughs> Anyways, that concludes this week's episode. If hope this helps. That is the end of the podcast. Yep. I just did like all of the worst things that you can do. I said, um, and then did like the, the lip smack. And I was like, my doing with my life i just turned my head sideways for some reason when i said <laughs> hope this helps and i don't know why so maybe it's a good thing you can't see me maybe it's a good thing that we're ending the episode now because we're doing all of the worst habits yeah ever. they're all they're all coming out of the woodwork now i think we did a good job avoiding them this episode but we'll see all right Thank you for anyone who is listening. We've been noticing a trend upwards. So if you're just uh, looking for something to drink to because you're sad about the world, that is okay. You can uh, listen, tune in on hghpc.com. You can write us on iTunes. We're on Anchor. We're just about everywhere and showing up on random algorithms now. So I will take that. I will take that as a win also. Yeah, we're, I just searched us online recently and found us in a couple of lists. And I've noticed, yes, like I said, the listen count has been on a surprising uptick lately. So yeah, if you are tuning in, thank you. And stay tuned for more fun sysadmin goodness stuff. And happy sysadmin day. And tune in next week, I think, for whatever. Wait, you'll tune in or <laughs> We'll all yeah. tune in next week. All right. Yes. Yeah. So hope this helps. Until then, hope this helps. <laughs>